You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Andre, how are you? I'm very good. I am very jazzed, as you lame people like to say. You don't sound very jazzed. You sound like you are a robot. Uh, no, pretty sure you sound like the robot. Suck it, Pincus. <laughs> that's, that's very mature of you, Prue. Well, we're about to hit what? Is this part three? Part three or part two? Oh, you're talking Thomas. It'd be part three. Oh it would my be part, God. Okay, so it's it's part two of his life, but part three of interviews with Thomas. Yes. Yes, it is. And we've already got him on deck for next year because, surprise, surprise, we didn't get the whole story this time. No, never, I don't think we're ever going to get this story. I think he does it on purpose. Yeah. But we really, really enjoy sitting down and speaking with him. And I know last year, for those of you listening to this podcast, people really really seem to enjoy our interview with him so uh here is part two slash maybe three depending how your counting is elvis is in the building he is his he was most popular podcast we had plus we promised there'd be a part two there would be a part two very excited for this it's taken us literally a year to get our shit together to do this again so we got thomas batchelder in the building for part two of the life and times of thomas batchelder I know everyone was sitting on the edge of their seats to find out what happened next, but uh, so I actually, it was one of those things where in that podcast, I said that we worry about letting the podcast go too long, because the last one, I think, was over an hour, yep. and one of our comments on it was that if it's Thomas speaking, it could be as long as you need it to be. Yeah, so we're going to try and keep this one to about an hour, because the really great part is Thomas has agreed again to do Stump the Stoop. Yes, that'll be the fun second hour. Yeah, it's fun second hour. So, <laughs> but I brought my own wines for Stump the Chumps. All right, so we are, well, we're all chumps. So we're, let's, okay, so I guess we have to start with where we kind of left off, which was, um, if I am not mistaken, we were at uh, uh, Leclos. You were coming back to Ontario to work for Leclos. How the heck do you get from, I believe you're in Oregon at this point, mm-hmm. how do you get to, from Oregon, working for... This is where you step in and Lemelson. say... Lemelson, Lemelson Vineyards. And uh, and then back to Ontario. So the crazy thing about Lemelson Vineyards is uh, Lemelson Vineyards was 60 hectares, 160 acres of organic. They refused to certify, but then they certified right after I left. Leclos was 56 hectares, 138 acres of organics with biodynamic touches. We were certified, Okay. That's just framing the two projects. Now we'll say, so you're working at Lemelson, and halfway through Lemelson, Lemelson is a guy who loves Burgundy, Eric Lemelson, great man, and uh, loves Burgundy and wanted to do a domain in the image of Burgundy and uh, sourced a few different hills in Yamhill County and in Dundee. And it was a real honor to be able to work with those hills and try to figure out where's the single vineyard. Where's the Grand Cuvée? All that stuff. So, um, but about into my third year there, Pascal Marchand, the famous, the most famous Canadian winemaker, although Patrick Puz in Chablis is very famous, as is, um, who else is over there? Who else is over there in Burgundy, guys? Canadians. Francois Morissette used to be, but now he's decided that Niagara is the Holy Grail. Yeah. And uh, so, anyway, there's a bunch of Canadians over in Burgundy, 
including me. I went to Oregon, as we just said. And then uh, Pascal Marchand calls me and says, uh, I want you to speak to Jean-Charles Boisset. So I said, okay, great, great, because now he's working for Domaine Le Bourget. And um, uh, Jean-Charles said, do you understand how we bought all these domains and we took all the vines and we put them into Domaine de la Vougeray. And so I said, yes, I do. And that's why Domaine de la Vougeray is 30 hectares from Marcenay in the north, just below Dijon, right down to Mercure. So I said, I, I get it how you did that, but what did you do with the, with the brands, the negociants that were left over? You know, Boisset had bought negociants that had vines. They'd taken the vines for Domaine de la Vougeray and they consolidated them under a biodynamic domain, but they still had the brands and wines, the Negos wines. Now, Negos wines are bought in grapes, usually. That's the best way to do it. It's what Batchelder does. And in long story short, what were those? They were Chauvenet, they were Bouchard, uh, not Perifis, but Bouchardenay, Ropito, Ponel, and Jafflin. And all of them had been brought back to life by, by various vignerons, for Boisset, and uh, they had left one out, and it was Chauvenet. So we got to contract one, and we got to contract two, and I thought, you know, doing a negociant in France, I'd rather do a small domain, but, you know, hey, whatever gets us in, and we'll do a good job, and we'll try to make it good, and uh, get the better contract for Chauvenet, and they had asked me to do the Clos and I had come home, and... Uh, checked it out with Pascal at Christmas, and Claystone was sticks, little sticks, like drumsticks sticking out of the snow. And I went, oh, I thought I got away from the Canadian winter. <laughs> hey, I need a drink. Can you open one? Yeah, well, I got one open here. Okay, let's do it. It's It's been a long day for you, we understand, so yeah. we appreciate you We're pre-bottling. We're pre-bottling. Batch Elder Bottles over at Southbrook. Our cellar is in Beamsville. It's the Bat Cave. It's hidden. Ask me about that again sometime. Okay. But, uh... But here, Andre. So, you know, we have a. This is a Wismer Park vineyard, and we'll talk about that. So, here's, uh, here's the crazy thing. There'd be, there'd been somebody else, when I refused the clo, there'd been somebody else uh, fingered for the job. Hang on, so, hang on, hang on. You so, you refused, refused the clo? I refused the clo because I saw little drumsticks coming out of the town. Not, not, not chicken drumsticks, but drumsticks. And we've got to be careful about you, about people being fingered these days. So, <laughs> so I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So, uh, so I, I refused. It was depressing to come back, see it in the winter. Yeah. But I refused it not because of that. I refused it because uh, I was going to re, I was going to make, you know, Chauvenet live again, which it still hasn't been. Mm. Google Chauvenet. And so your plan was to go back to Burgundy. Yeah, my plan was to go back to Burgundy from Oregon. And what happened was uh, uh, whoever they picked to do it couldn't do it or had conflict of interest or whatever. So Pascal, Jean-Charles came back and he said, listen, if you do Le Clos, uh for one year, uh, we'll bring you back to Burgundy and we'll find you a nice place. Boisset will take care of you. And it was a collaboration between Vincor and Boisset. Vincor became Constellation and yep. is now Artera, right? Yep. But, but the thing about that was... Um, that uh, I realized when I accepted the one-year thing in good faith, and I believe that Boisset was two families together, and I was the first child of the family, right? Boisset and Vincor, now Artera. But I realized that, oh, my God, we have to build this Frank Geary building 
And it was the building was meant to be finished before the AGO got their, their Geary building built because we had started sooner. So I realized it was a massive undertaking. And so Vincor said, okay, three years minimum to move your family here and everything. Well, I, I think it was totally fair. And what happened, of course, was uh, Vincor and was a great corporation to work for. And the CLO was a great domain project down in Jordan Station. We found a building with Kevin O'Connor, the lamented great real estate guy who actually bought the building for us that we were in, that I met you guys in, and um, and rented it back to us because we weren't in a space to buy a building when we were buying it. That was that big green building on the... Yeah, on the, on the 2540 South Service Road. Got it, yep. Taz owns that now for, and they do their sparkling in there. Okay. And so now the, the CLO was off and running, and after a while, I didn't care about going back to Burundi because here was uh, Canada's big chance to get known internationally. And I think, for me, that was the drug about the closure of Dan. The usual in the new world, discovering new terroirs, finding the best part of each terroir to make a single vineyard. Not necessarily the best, but the most characterful, maybe. And uh, making a great village from all, all the other wine. And in both white and red, an all Chardonnay and Pinot project, organic and biodynamic, domain bottled all in the town of Jordan. At first, I was disappointed because I thought, you know what, it would have been better. Why didn't they do Grimsby, Beamsville, Vineland, Jordan, or Beamsville, Vineland, Jordan, Short Hills? But the answer was, it took me years to figure it out, was the land was available in Jordan. Why? Because it was too far from the lake to do what Beamsville was doing, which was the darker reds. And being too far, and this is the hard thing, especially if, if listeners are just imagining in this brain, in their brain and not seeing it, the farther you are from the lake on the escarpment, the longer first epoch grapes take to get ripe. Put another way, for Pinot and Chardonnay to have flavor, you want some hang time. In a hot summer, if you're right on the lake, you'll be picking you know, a week and a half earlier than you will on the bench. But if the bench is another kilometer or two pushed back, like Jordan is and Vineland is, you get more hang time. The current version of that in Batchelder is Wismer Wingfield, our most steely wine, beautiful, somewhere between a Pugny and a Chablis with great minerality. And that's that's like six kilometers from the lake almost, you know, and higher on the hill. It's not just height on the hill here. It's how far you are from the lake. So put another way, if you're far from the lake, but on the bench, the whole time the grape is struggling to ripeness, the vine is pumping it with water and, and sugar, but also with minerality. Early grapes come off with sugar, but less flavor or less sense of place. You know, it's not a comparison or putting down lakeside stuff. There's an amazing vineyard on the on the lake in Beamsville called Schule, and which is probably cooled off by mm -hmm. the lake, right? That that Kelly's doing a great job of over at um, Hansberger, but. Uh, so the distance from the lake and having all four vineyards in Jordan turned out to be a great thing. And I realized, oh, if you were a grower in Pamard, which is Pamach, which is right between Volnay and Bone, <laughs> Pamach. Suddenly the French has, oh, wait a second. I'm, I have to speak a little French. Fine. Yes. He, he said it the Michael way and then he said it my way. Correct. Yes, that's right. And so what happened? <laughs> it's a pummy wine. Yeah. But if you're in Pamar, then you have all your vines there because you never drive in Burgundy further than you have to with your tractor to go spray the vines, right? Unless you're a really big concern, then you have multiple teams. But for the small guys and gals, they fill up their, their sprayer with organic sulfur and they don't want to drive much more than a kilometer or two. So their vines are all traditionally in one village. So if you're in Pamar between Volnay and Bone, 
you won't sit there in Pamal and say, I'm pissed that I don't have any Valne. Just the same as you live in Jordan, you don't say, I'm pissed that I don't have any short hills, right? You tend to concentrate in one place when you're small and you're a grower and a winemaker, both. But then I realized, oh my God, the uh, the Newdorf Vineyard, Kalos does that vineyard now, uh, but it used to be called La Petite Colline, mm-hmm. owned by the Newdorf family who also does the farm. And, and, and Jeff Newdorf and, and Kelly's the winemaker of that now. And uh, of course, the Bowen family owned Claystone, still do, a Bowen Schmidt family. And then there was the Chudzik family that, that owned Talon Ridge, up high above Flat Rock, between Flat Rock and uh, the, the great winery up there, Westcott. And uh, then you had below that, it goes like this going north towards the lake, it goes Westcott, Talon Ridge of the Clough, Flat Rock and then Claystone. That's all one long strip of Pinot Noir and Chardonnay with a little Riesling for, mm. for spice. And on the other side, the Clos Jardin itself used to be called the Dobson property, and that's completely surrounded by forests. So the French thought it was very funny and cool to have a, a Clos that was not a walled Clos, but a tree Clos, right? So you can imagine between Lake Ontario's humidity and a tree fence all around, uh, how much, uh, how, how fungal diseases when you're organic were sometimes an issue. But interestingly, one thing that people don't know about the escarpment and the escarpment um, commission is they don't let you break stuff up. So the clo was like 25 acres planted, like, you know, uh, 10 hectares, but it was 75 acres, mostly a Bruce Trail. And you just have to steward that you know mm-hmm. you have to be a steward of that part of the property you're not allowed to take any trees down etc 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 and uh the one thing i really wish i mean of course things went the way they went we never built it we never built yeah, the that building was the question i was gonna gonna ask is so like how far along did they get in the planning process and i mean it's even becoming difficult now online to find pictures of this building and mm-hmm. which it, was going to be gorgeous like i remember them it, the, it, just, it would have been a crown jewel to this day still in, yep. in niagara i mean it it's incredible yeah but i mean what so what exactly happened and how far along did they get into getting that facility built so they we we dug we dug deep pits to see how where the you know where the rocks started mother rock we were all over the property it was planted uh part of it was planted before i came part of it was planted when i came one of the saddest days was planting out towards the end of my tenure uh, of the closure then planting out the Geary building circle because it was an open circle in the middle of the vines as you drove up the driveway off King Street or you know King Street's called King Street Highway 8 Highway 81 and when it gets to St. Catherine's called St. Paul Street right yep. and I I think if you watch it it goes all the way to Queenston but in Niagara Lake but that's not in St. David's but uh the thing about it is, when you plant it out the middle of the clo years later, boy, there's a lot more of a great vineyard. It's kind of a great thing that the building didn't get built. But what, what, and you know, it's it's like it's not like Constellation's fault. What happened was when Vincor was still Vincor, and there was also Vincor International. Don't forget, Vincor was huge, right? Yep. In Australia and California and Washington State, South Africa. Uh, what happened was that uh, the um, the building was too expensive right on the plans before you got the quotes. So we rejigged the building and, you know, for instance, to have one loading dock instead of two and all lots of changes like that. And uh, we're like, one loading dock? Like the mobile bottling truck rocks in, you need another truck in another one to 
offload the glass into the building, the, the pallets of glass that you're going to bottle, empty. Yeah. And then as they come off the line, put the pallets of completed wine in. Because no wine restores all its goods on place, right? You can't do it sur place. That was Especially 130 acres. Not worth. So, so what happened was I, we were making compromises that weren't that good. So they told me it was going to cost 16 million and then it went up to 19 mil million and that's when we rejigged it to try to see if we could save money everywhere we could save money and then the last count it was like 32 million and i think wow. when you screw with the integrity of something as we say in french so such a crazy building and that has all these shards and cloud like uh, cloud-like features and now you're trying to bring order to it that's outside of what frank and his team did you're now micromanaging mm. and the price went up plus uh china was building a lot that year or india i forget and steel prices everywhere went through the roof and that was a lot of what pushed it and there was a lot of steel there was some titanium blah 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 so um they shelled it for two years kevin o'connor the great niagara on the lake realtor took me through 15 buildings across the peninsula from virgil to beamsville and helen fisher the great researcher suggested uh, this lakeshore produce or lakeshore flowers it wasn't a greenhouse it was a building that was a cold room for flowers once they were cut so it had 18 loading docks so it was like mm, 18 loading docks and we just cut the one we're building from two down to one so um i need a break here can we tie this sure yeah so yeah. wismer park <laughs> yeah so it's mine I, well i got a little lash left well, you want a little more, Andre? I'll take a bit. Okay. So just so we can understand it, Wismer Park is very red soil. And uh, from, I, I don't know if I said this in the last uh, podcast, but the thing about Wismer is they are always adding to their holdings in Vineland. It's a great place to have holdings if you like cool climate varieties. As I said earlier, cool climate varieties given longer to ripen taste more and have longer finishes and have more dry extract and have more minerality and so it's cool to be farther from the lake as long as it eventually does get ripe right and as long as you are on the escarpment you need that north facing slope here not to not to freeze off in the winter right south facing slopes are warmer here but when they face little lake erie that freezes very yeah. now you know very shallow lake right so that's that yeah and uh so this is just uh just above the IGA, which is a great road mark in in uh, oh yeah okay yeah in Vineland, and just up on the hill there, and it's got uh, it's right beside a Butler's Grant, which is another famous vineyard mm -hmm. up there, and it's uh, it's meticulously uh, uh, kept by um, Craig Wismer and his team, and whether light year, heavy year, always it has from this red soil this sort of gamey but i would say more importantly this bloody taste and if you look for it on the finish you'll find it and i'm just gonna have a little sip here michael's plastered empty well i am i am i love the concentration on this wine i thought it was really lovely it's and obviously got a nice it's almost a creamy mouthfeel like it's really large how it opens up on the mid palate and this is this is one of your wines just so people yeah. know this is a batch elder whisper park unreleased 15 15 you know so and not to go back a year but a year has passed and we have still not got a um uh a, a, a tasting room and by that a tasting room i mean a, a permit and we talked about that and i think you yeah. guys posed very good questions on it and when we get that retail permit we will almost for sure not have a tasting room but we'll have the wine club where we can ship wine 
And the LCBO and the SAQ have both been very good to us about picking up single vineyards. But let's say you make uh, 200 cases of a single vineyard or 100 cases, 100 cases, what we usually make. And they say, oh, that's good. Uh, we'll take 50 cases. And then they're on to the next vintage. By They sell through. Yep. And they come again. What I'd rather do is reverse that paradigm. And uh, Mary would love to do this. Mary Delaney, my wife and partner, is you come to your wine club and you say, right, we've got 100 cases of this. 50 are allotted to the wine club. Mm-hmm. And now... We've got 50 for the LCBO. You talk to the LCBO. They're very open about it. They're very good. And they'll say, well, actually, we only need 40. Well, that's great. So then you put another 10 at the end, yep. you know, out to the wine club. Or, But but we're too small just to hang out uh, all weekend, you know, we'll, in, a, in, our, in our tasting room. And the because property, you're so the, busy, too. I mean, yeah, you're, you're everywhere. Like, and sure, I know you, a taste of Oregon, you had one of your daughters pouring for you at, at that event. But, I mean, it's still great, though, now that the whole family's getting involved that, I mean, you have a third body with yeah. the, with the family name to be able to help pour your wines. But well, it's nice that you can come and hang out in the basement and chat with us, too. So yeah. if you had to do a store, you yeah. know, we wouldn't be able to do that. Now, and that is, you know, I really love Big Head and Andre and the whole Lipinski family, Kaya and, and, and Jacob and everything. But they... Um, they uh, they have to be all the time at that store. Yep. I mean, all the time there's got to be somebody there, and they do a great job of it. You know, you mm-hmm. go, it's so mystical. You go down between the tanks, and they're either doing a cellar operation or selling someone wine between yep. the tanks, right? Yep. And it's so real, and it's such a good story. Um, but but we don't only do that. We do other things too, right? Um, well, tell us how many cases of wine are you making in Niagara right now? Uh, we're 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 just getting ready to bottle twenty five hundred, which is up. Like we need to make ten thousand in Niagara, you yeah. know, and or or twenty thousand if we could have an unoak Chardonnay. If I can figure out how to do that, as far as I'm concerned, nobody has. I hope that's a blind one you have for me. I would love to have a simple unoak Chardonnay with just enough verve to it. Here, here's my definition of a good unoak Chardonnay, like a Chablis. We all drink it, and um, we're having a barbecue, and someone brings us some scallops, and you say, should I go get a Merceau, or should I go get a, you know, a Matiar Vineyard or a Quarry Road from Taz? And we say, no, this is tasting good. Pop another bottle of the unoak. That has never happened in the history of Niagara. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say, well, I mean, pop me an unopened. Listen, I said that before too. Like Thomas, right now, your your Niagara Chardonnay at twenty five dollars a bottle in uh, vintages. Is it still an essential? No, it's not an essential. But we could never make a thousand cases, so they're just going to buy the same amount we always made, which was about six hundred cases. Okay, so it's but good. I mean, it's coming but, out but now. I mean, it's one of those things where when the price dropped down from twenty nine to twenty five, it became one of the best values and one of the nice most rounded chardonnays on the market so. true and i would i i just i i'm not gonna i'm not being uh so i should give you that we're rinsing with chardonnay here and which is which is the best use for chardonnay no but if uh, you know who you know who's the master of unoak chardonnay in niagara no. those early cassava. peninsula ridge uh i was gonna say cassava they do great i haven't tried it chardonnay oh, i gotta try it so I, I'm, I sp- but but when I remember when Jean-Pierre Collat first moved here and and made those killer whites at Peninsula Ridge. Not that Jamie isn't, but just that they were set a standard, and maybe I was just all like, wow, a new region, and I was just in love with it. But you know when um, w- when even simple Chablis finished, and they're not that complex. Let's say a simpler one at twenty-two bucks. When they finished with that sort of gunflint kind of tang that they say comes from the Kimmeridgian soils and. I would just, 
Maybe it's that most of the of the unoak chardonnays here come from higher producing vines. Maybe somebody needs to try a low yield one, and still put it out for twenty bucks. Lexi, but what do you do with that? Like fruit's so expensive here that it's. I mean, especially dealing with Craig Wismer, like your costs are. You're paying a fruit premium then. Was that an ad for Craig? Craig, if you're listening, no. It costs them a lot of money to grow it too. I know we all get it. Everybody, everybody charges a fruit premium, and we're just lucky that there's people who sell it to us, right? So this is this is uh, what is called mineralité. Oh, it's 16, and this goes to Quebec usually in the SAQ, but to licensees here. This is really so, good. So this is all over Niagara Lake. This is recently bottled, 16. That's delicious. It's definitely it definitely tastes like the summer. It's sort of pineapple and tangerine. Is there a lot of oak on that, or just no? It's just mm -hmm. a fat year, man. But that's it still right, has good minerality. Sixteen, man. Just a little bit of the vanilla to it, but so. And so we have the same label here from Oregon, Mineralité Oregon. Would you do the honors, sir? Mm -hmm. Happy to. I got that. You're gonna open one? No, I'm just gonna keep it over here because I don't want to share it. Oh well, that's excellent idea. So you haven't even tasted it yet. Just getting my uh, making sure the phone ringers off here because that would be very. Uh, so um, no, I'm used to okay, working. So with, I'm used to working with hosts who don't turn the radio, uh, turn the ringers off. Uh, well, this one's... shout out to Jim Richards. Okay, so uh, let's get this you back off. on track. Yep, and uh, get back to the clo. I guess so. You're at the clo. They basically say now it's too expensive to make. Uh, Frank Gehry's building. Frank Gehry's building. Did they go? Okay, we're going to make a building, or it just it just was scrapped completely. We're now a virtual project. Well, now we had, now we have the rented building forever instead of just a two-year wait. And Don Triggs was a visionary, right? And uh, Don Triggs, as of Jackson Triggs, now he has that great. Him and Elaine had that great project, Helmina. Mm -hmm. And we just spoke with him. Uh, if you have not heard that podcast yet, go back and listen to it. And we can Don's now turn great, to the next page. Don's a great storyteller. Oh yeah, and he's like. He's an icon of the Canadian industry, right? Or, or maybe the worldwide industry because they did so much with yep. Vincore. I'm not ready to dump this. Uh, oh, min is the LCBO not going to take this? No, but the LCBO is going to get a slightly firmer, the black label that looks like a chalkboard. It's a slightly different cuvee. Okay. So now, is, there, is there a way for me to buy that as a consumer in Ontario? Uh, there would be as soon as we get our license. If you'd say I walked in the cellar and said, oh, you know, I know it's a licensee one, but I'd like it. We'd say, sure. Here, pass me some plastic. All right. <laughs> oh, speaking of that, can we talk about our girls? My girls. I have two girls, age 21, and uh, we're going to do a blind Wrapped in Barbie. plastic. That's right. So uh, so I'm looking at two Barbies from Michael and Erica's niece, right? They're going to be uh, for my niece, yeah. And yeah. hopefully she, her mom won't hear this podcast. No, by that time she's uh, already got them, yeah. So yeah, they're so coming good. in from Australia, yeah. They're coming in from Australia, and what we have here, on the left, we have Barbie in a, a sky blue of sort of... A it's going to be denim. I think it's going to be a denim. Yep. Faded denim, and a, a nice brooch on her shoulder that, you know, a summer brooch that it looks like snowflakes, which is incongruous, but somebody must have slapped it on there. Yeah. She's blonde with blue eyes, and then we have another Barbie with slightly wider smile, blonde with blue eyes, and she's all tartan all the time, with uh, wearing a tartan robe, a black, white, and red. And uh, she has a little pink tutu, which is around her waist, which Correct. is very strange. Very strange. It's yes. like a belt. Why I bring this up, it sounds, you have two girls, you say, you know, there's no freaking way they're getting Barbies. And boy, do you relent as soon as they're the only kids in the class without Barbies. Yeah. And they have so much fun playing with them. So Mary says it's a special birthday coming up, and I'd really like to go to India. And I'm like, what? And she goes, yep. Yeah. And you're not coming. You're staying home with the girls. I'm like, okay, that's fine. And have a good time. 
and it's your life dream. She's read every English language book on India, right? And so um, what happens? She goes, I've reconsidered a month later. You can come. I'm like, well, who would get from what's the girls? We're from Montreal, and, you know, there's our parents. So everybody's in Montreal. We're going to go for a month to India. The year's 2007. It's the year we hired Seb for the Closure Dan. So uh, Sebastian Jacques, who's now at Megalomaniac. Shout out to Seb. Shout out to Seb. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and making great wines over there. And uh, what happened was uh, we got there and we were so scared that we couldn't move or walk down the street. So we started to take tuk-tuks. You know what a tuk-tuk is? Well, those those bikes with the, the the guy running in front of it? Is yeah, but do they have motor now. Tuk, oh, okay. Tuk, tuk, All right. And they're fantastic. Then we said, okay, let's do something crazy. Let's start traveling. But the buses will, you know, traffic in India is like a moving serpent down the street. It's totally amorphous. And we said, let's take a cab. And it was a battered up 50s cab. Like picture, you have to channel the look of the cars in Cuba. And that's what it looked like. And we're in this cab bumping over every road in southern India in Tamil Nadu. And all of a sudden, on um, uh, the radio came the Barbie song. The Barbie song. The Barbie song. The the song by Aqua, the Barbie girl? Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world. Yeah. Life in plastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. I'm a Barbie girl. It's, and it's okay. so, and look at the these words. Barbies are like right here sitting in plastic, happy as the day is long. So this brings you back to India. India. with And the other thing I want to teach everybody in the world about India, because I hope everybody listens to your thing, is... The amazing thing is you say, why are the goats on the side of the road? And why are the dogs on the side of the road? Why are the cows on the side of the road? And why are they sort of sifting corn on the side of the road to take it, like corn seeds or kernels, to take it to market? And, you know, this this beautiful paved road in southern India. And then I realized is this road has been here for 4,000 years. <laughs> it just wasn't paved until recently. Yeah. And every generation of every being on the planet knows that's where they got to go for food or water or whatever, yeah. right? So even the wild animals are there or the domesticated animals. They just hang out on the side of the road and you're like, there's some bush over there. There's like some shade. Go, go. And you're going around the goats and everything singing the Barbie song. So I thought that was a nice little interlude, given that you already had the Barbies upstairs. <laughs> so, so this is the interlude, India, from... Leaving Le Clos Jordan. Yeah, I guess you're leaving Le Clos at this point. Uh, I'm about to leave Le Clos, and I'm going to do something really fantastic, which is go get a domain in Burgundy. And Mary is up for it. And uh, now we're drinking the 14 Mineralite, but it's from yes. Oregon, this one. Yeah. I love your wine from Oregon. But and this one's in the LCBL. That. Okay. Uh, and so what happens is uh, uh, we get to find a domain in Montelie, and I'm over in Burgundy, and it, the punchline is... The punchline is we figure out that the guy, very famous uh, vineyard guy, uh, winemaker named André Pocheret, Pocheret, who used to run the Hospice de Bonne, just wanted to get it evaluated to leave it to the next generation. That's a sneaky trick people do. They pretend they want to sell it, see who's willing to pay, and now their domain's been evaluated for free. Okay. So, yeah, it was Montalie Duret. And it was a monthly fabulous domain with Premier Cruise, no Grand Cruise. And a, a Montreal guy was raising uh, the money for it. And at that exact time, guess what happened? The sub uh, prime mortgage yeah. scandal. Oh, 2008. The three car companies in the States nearly tanking. Obama's getting power. Boy, he was unlucky for timing. Great guy, but and smart, you know, guy, but 
his timing, you know, just that's when he got in and all that shit happened, right? And uh, I remember Maury Taz, who's in the mortgage world, saying, oh boy, you guys haven't seen the end of this yet. But actually, he was right wrong. It got really bad in the States and people lost their houses, as you'll remember. Yep. But in Canada, we found out how robust our banking system yep. was. And and then we became a world model. That's when our guy left after that to go to become head of the Bank of England. Remember that? I can't remember yep. his name. Yep. Uh, uh, pretty good country we live in, no? Shoot, I can't remember his name either. All right, we'll yeah, come back. We can, it's not a it's not a wine thing, so let's just yeah, let's just pass out. right over it. Yeah. Right. So, but here's the funny <laughs> thing: you're just dying to get onto a computer and look that up. <laughs> I, I, I am, uh, but I mean, I come from a financial background too, right? Yeah, I, know. I did. I did mortgage sales. So. So, uh, so what happened is... Um, so you're ready, to, you're packing your bags, you're ready to go. These you're... guys, we're going to raise $6 million to buy the domain and a couple of million more to run it for a few years, you know, because you can't just buy it and, uh, you know. But there was stock that you could sell, and it's a good domain. You can check it out, Montelie and it passed to the, the kids, and maybe that's the best thing. But um, what happened next is that, meanwhile, we were starting something in our backyard called... There were four C's in it, the Cool Climate Chardonnay Celebration, which became um, I4C, which became I4C, the return of Chardonnay. And the important distinction... Mark, Mark Carney. Carney. Mark Carney. Shout not out to, to Mark Carney, I guess. Really. Not to be confused with Art Carney no. of the Honeymooners. No. Jackie Gleason. But uh, that shows my age. Exactly. <laughs> Go Google that. You'll know how old I am. But the thing is, no. They, they well, did reruns. They did lots of reruns. So, I guess, Talk so about just, off just, on a tangerine. Just, 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 well, just to take a bit of a, a pause before we get into I4C, um, which is an event that I look Correct, forward to every I year. But, but you coming from Oregon, mm -hmm. they throw a big Pinot Noir powwow every year. And that's why I got the idea. So, so it's... it's is it your idea? You're the reason why we do I4C. I know there's lots. I don't. For I, know sure I know there's lots of credit to share with, with the people who are involved with organizing it. But was it your idea that you came? It was to my idea, and I was the vice president for a few years. And Harold Seal ran with it and made it live. And of course, Dorian Anderson and now Trisha Mollicott, uh, Daniel Giroux helped too, but everybody helped. All the wineries helped. But what for his, for you know for posterior's sake? I mean, posterity's sake. Yeah, posterior. posterior. That's fine. I think you did it on purpose. Uh, you know what, eh? That Oregon wine has great minerality. It's just it not is. a limestone minerality. It's a sea salty kind of savory minerality. But I kept a bit limey. I don't like it when they get too limey. I, li I like the balance of that. I mean, saying limey too long. So, so that the minerality from Oregon does that spend some time at home? That means Englishman. Everything I do is 100% barrel fermented. Is that is, older oak on the? Yeah, uh, of course. Yeah, on this. Like neutral oak. Yeah, yeah, mostly neutral, maybe ten percent. See, if, if 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 you could make something like that in Niagara, that would be the one at the barbecue where someone brings up the scops. I'll be like, no, nah, let's open another bottle of this. Okay, that's it. It costs money to put in oak, but that's it. You'd have to have, because what what Andre is saying there is, oak, even neutral oak, oxygenates a wine. Yeah. And the wine feels claustrophobic in a big steel tank. It doesn't feel claustrophobic in a barrel. In fact, it evaporates. It has, it has mouthfeel, right? Because like the it's, it's got a little bit bigger mouthfeel because the, the, the problem with unoaked Chardonnay in Ontario, especially from a cool vintage, is I think that it's Chardonnay. Well, I think claustrophobic is the perfect way to put it, is it, it, it never has a chance to open up on the palate. It's, right. it's sort of like one note, a lot of citrus straight through, and... A little bit of oxygen, you get a little bit more orchard fruit. You get apples and peaches, even in a cool vintage. So I, I that's well put. I have another question. This though. guy studied his shit. I mean, well, his uh, shite. But here's here's a question for I, you. I drink a lot of shit. We, we just we just opened up a bottle of your bachelor Saunders Holt Vineyard, right? 2015, and somebody sent me a picture, and they said 
There's no way that Thomas is using a plastic cork because they had opened a bottle of your wine and it was a plastic cork. Yet, yeah. there's a plastic cork. What is going on with that? So Thomas, is, I thought you were smarter than that. I know. So look, this is a... This is a, a, a... That's not plastic, but it is plastic. And the, 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 the other ones are, are real cork. So no, no, no. The other ones are cork. They're diamond. DM, made DM. from blasted up cork. Correct. But, but that's and a plastic And this is one. Noma's try at it. And Noma's... No, that's made from... Or, that's the first organic cork. And it's made from sugar cane, which they blast up and put back together. But when they blast it, just the way they make it, you know how you can make bottles out of uh, what do they make plastic bottles out of? They can what's the green? What do they make it out of? They can make it out of some like sort plants of plants. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So bamboo or something. Yeah, like yeah. Well, bamboo, sugarcane. Yeah. So you can make plastic out of sugarcane. So Noma is doing these corks out of organic sugarcane, and the and Ken Wright, great Pinot producer in Oregon, making twenty thousand cases of Pinot a year, whatever it is. Yeah, all Noma. You know, for how this, long though? Like, do we know what's going to affect under? No, we don't. The issue I've had with, with Michael is we've opened up some wines from uh, Colio, Lake Erie, North Shore. Sorry to pick on you guys, but from like 2003, 2004, that just smell and taste like plastic when we open them, yeah. right? That was another generation. So that's the Noma plastic cork, and this is the Noma. So I've experimented oh, so it's with the same the, company. Yeah. yeah, but this oh. is their organic green bamboo. It's weird to have an organic cork when you think of it. But I, I do admit it. Isn't Look, it has a more of a... Is it a regular so, cork, organic cork? So, well, no. So I mean, if it's organic, so, it's real. It's. I know, I know we keep interrupting you. It's not certified you. organic, though. But, but give me the elevator pitch on how is this not going to screw with your wine. And as Michael and I have said as consumers, yeah. we're skeptical, especially hearing that it's the same company that uh, made the corks that ruined the Colio wines that we've opened. Yeah, so I'm skeptical, too. But this is not the same version. So I'm always trialing corks, right? So there's the ZM that you see here, which is agglomerated cork. Let's start with that so people understand. Yeah. yeah. So you, you take your cork bits that you, are not... You grind it up, and then you kind of glue it back together, but you wash it in the process. And you blast it. Blast it, it and make sure that there's going to be no uh, cork taint. I, yeah, I get the DM. So now DM has been copied by Neutro Cork from Anorim, and the other one is Vink, like uh, V-I-N-C, mm -hmm. like uh, uh, Vink, I mean, Victorious sort of, Vinkeur. And there's there's three or four of them that blast it apart, wash them, put it back together. Yep. And Noma decided to do a plant-based organic, because they could certify the organics. It's a big edge, right? So um, what we need to do before the next show is Google Ken Wright's uh uh, organic corks and see if we can find any good or bad stuff on the net. Well, well, here's the thing. I, we I, visited, the I visited, visited Noma uh, years ago, and um, they they showed us some wines, um, and I can't remember the vineyard that they were using, uh, and they said, look how well these wines age under our cork, right? So it was a 10-year-old wine under the plastic cork, but they didn't have... Um, something that was under regular cork or they didn't yeah. have something under screw cap to, to compare it to. So we're supposed to, I'm supposed to say, wow, this is a great wine uh, t at 10 years of age, but I, I want, you know, you need a control group before you can say that's a great wine under that cork. Well, uh, guess what? We now need a third podcast because I have those. Excellent. That's what I think we should be doing. Yeah. All right. So, so you, you've been experimenting. Will you remember these? that? It'll be a fifth podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been experimenting Please. with these Noma corks for a while then? No, I've been experimenting with so let's take a step back and say, here's the problem with regular cork. The problem with regular cork is, besides being TCA, 
it can it can have TCA and bring corkiness. It can sometimes just have the beginning of cork that gives a dusty flavor and takes the fruit away. And and the problem with that is consumers can often recognize cork, which is a musty smell, yep. barky smell. Yep. But just a wine that's muted from the beginnings of corkiness, they just go, I don't like that producer. So so then here's what happened. New Zealand got too many of those corks. Correct. And they started with the Stelvin. And right. you got a lot percent of the, the, the industry in New Zealand just went overnight, they went, we're going Stelvin. And for my Kiwi friends, they will smile when they hear this. Kiwis are actually smarter than the rest of us. The only problem with them being smarter than us is they also know they're smarter, which is immediately a downfall. Yep. So because they know they're smarter, they're smarter than us. Uh, every Kiwi winemaker I've ever met is smarter than me. But they went they went to Stelven completely, mm -hmm. which I have no problem with, except for one thing. I hate the bottle that supports the Stelven yes. closure. I don't like seeing a thin little, I even like my beer bottles, like not to have those little, oh, little yeah. uh, those threads, threads on them. On them. Yep. So I, when you pour a great wine out of a great bottle with, with a thick lip on the top, it looks good. And you know how the sums do it. You guys do it with a flourish, and I do it with a dribble, but you know, that's another yeah. thing. It, see, when I, was, when I was in New Zealand, Andre, did I tell you I've been to New Zealand and Australia? But when I was there, um, even they said, even if you didn't agree with it, you still agreed with it because you realized it was good for the industry. And I think that in Ontario, that does not happen. If you don't think it's good for you, then you immediately 100%. go against, against 100%. it. So I want to do a uniform, I have a unifying idea for Ontario. Which appellations are the best in Ontario of the four? And I always say, you know what? I prefer the lakeside appellations. It's every appellation. Yeah. So, you know, all we have to do is, is, is row the boat as a team. I'm not saying quite a rising tide lifts all boats. I'm saying let's row the boat in the same direction. And that's what New Zealand does so well, right? That's what I thought. So, yep. so basically, I never get the chance to say this to Kiwis, and, and, and I'm sure not many will listen to this podcast, but we can hope. But the thing we'll is... tag them all in. Yep. Tag them all in. I love the finish of my bottle. And my bottle is chosen after years of, of loving bottles. And it's a geeky thing. Like I play guitar, so you can love a guitar. You know, you can ride a bike, you can love a bike. A lot of people love their cars, and you see them, you know, you see them. I love all of those things you just mentioned, Thomas. Yeah, well, they're wiping down their car uh, on a Sunday morning. It's almost a sensual action, you know. Can I get in trouble for that? Sensual no, not, not that I know of. <laughs> not that I know of. No, everything's so, PG here. So, so uh, yeah, I want to talk about the Saunders wine. we got to talk about Warren Saunders just a bit. But i got to finish with the cork, which is keep me my bottle. Give me something that plugs it in an efficient way. Now, we have found that... It gives that, it ageability, too, right. which is I don't think plastic will do. Right. And I'm looking forward, if you've got any of these wines, seven to ten years old, I can't I've got believe them four you do. years yeah. old. Hashtag but still, pork paint. But I mean, uh, we, we can't do it next year because you only get five years at that point, but we got to wait seven to ten years to see, and, and I hope you've got a bottle under regular cork and under the plastic well, if, cork. if we want to pull one out after Every five time. years, if we're that concerned, after no, five do. years, it would start showing... Some of the, the plastic smell. Like, I, I I had some wines from Viewpoint sent to me with uh, plastic cork. Correct. Okay. That were made recently, and it, they so, were five years, and they already had that plasticky smell to it. So the 15's been in bottle. Can you smell a difference between not the jam been cork? In your, not after it's been in his mouth. Oh, he's, been on, he's been chewing on oh, you chewed on it. I yeah, chewed what? on it to try to see if I could break it open and see if it was plastic it inside. Taste, tasted like sugar? It's plant Smells the exact same. Yeah, they and there's do. No, and there's no smell to either one of them. Noma right has now. worked so hard. We have to Google this before the before we have the talk about it. Right. 
but but my point oh, is, I've never done an entire vintage under anything since I got off of cork. I'll always test things, and you have, I think you have to remember about wine producers on any kind of testing, whether it's in the vineyard or in the thing, is we're not researchers, we're producers. So when the time comes, you got to pull the trigger on something. Yep. And so when you think, ah, I like these DMs, but they're expensive, so you try Neutro Cork, or you try the other one, Vank, or you try this uh, bamboo-based organic cork, right? Which, looked at one way, is the best cork of all of them, and looked at another way, is plastic. Your choice. This Saunders Chardonnay is, is, is the bomb. It really is. I, so and, I am, and I am starting to realize that uh, we are never going to get uh, Thomas's full story from him. And the reason it's is because okay. he wants to keep coming back. I, I think that's the key. So he keeps going off on the tangerines so that we have but, but to we, go. But we, we got to focus. We got to focus. So you you're, focus buying, you're buying a domain in Burgundy. And you, you, you've got, I guess, investors, or you've got the money yourself. No, I got, inv- I got a guy who's pulling investors together, hockey players. He had a big Rolodex. That was the end of the days when people had Rolodex. Yes, okay. And now we don't even use it as a euphemism for having a lot of contacts in your phone. But he had a big Rolodex. We're pulling it together. I said, what happened? He goes, you know, you know what happened. He says, everybody just put their hands right back in their pocket and kept their wallet in there. Meanwhile, we'd started the I4C. And what happened was, um, I said, guys... You want to know why I had this idea for the I4C? The, um, the, uh... Andre's going to get drunk right here. <laughs> I don't care. This Sonder Chardonnay is so good. Save we're, some for dinner. Okay. Is everybody invited to dinner? Yeah. Yeah, we're all here. Always. No, no, but I mean our, our viewers, too, our listeners. Yeah, they can come for dinner, too. I think there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who've probably been over for dinner. Yeah. But you know what else? By the time they hear this podcast, it'll have to be another dinner. We have another dinner. That's not a problem. (laughs) Okay, let's get... I want you guys really to understand the story of the I4C because it's changing the world as we know it. Okay. It's only my idea that's the realization of many people. Here's how it happens. 30 years ago, the International Pinot Noir Celebration is started by the five or six first Oregon, the Ponzi's who I worked with, who went, I went to, with Louisa, to school with Louisa Ponzi in, 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 in Burgundy. And, but even before that, they started the, I4, the IPNC, International Pinot Noir Celebration, IPNC.org. That's a shout out. It's a not-for-profit. And it's a weekend of bliss and Pinot. You've been? Yeah? No, oh, I you have get, not. One day we you're have a, Yeah, but you're a writer, man. Yep. Listen, when I was down in Oregon, where I was graciously met by the people at Lemelson, where you walk into the winery and say, do you know Thomas? They know who I'm talking about. I was in between. I missed I4C and Cool Pinot Noir because my travel dates landed right in the middle of the two. So IPNC is something, it's crazy. You know, but the, the thing is, you had Adelsheim, Ponzi, Erath, Irie, Bethel Heights, Amity. Wow, that was the fastest I've ever done it. All those guys are lions and only, and guys and gals, because the it was a man and a woman each time running it and rowing in the same direction, and they started Oregon. They realized, you know, there's like five times as much Pinot in California as in Oregon. Oregon's known for it, but California is much more. Mm-hmm. Some of it's excellent, and some of it not to be mentioned on this program, yep. because it's, it's stewed juice. But... <laughs> But no, but the greatest California sh- Pinots I, and Chardos. I mean, there's three hundred dollar Chardos in California. Yep. But th- they realized that they were like the first Christians in Rome being thrown to the lions. The Pinot Noir winemakers. How can we get a name for Oregon? And unlike the French, whose approach is to have competitions, they had a celebration. And do you know? I saw it. I was a board member out at the IPNC. It's always the last weekend in July. 
so you can know 20 years from now if you can only save up for 20 years michael just you'll know which weekend it is and yep. you can reserve it right we won't do a podcast on that weekend <laughs> and uh what happens is they turn pinot around to the point where big pinot states in the big pinot states are florida and texas surprisingly or maybe not it's seven consumers hot. right yep yep okay. they love their pinot and i think there came a time they grew up on california pinot those states they didn't so much know what burgundy was right and as a as a demographic thing i know there's great connoisseurs in those states and especially in florida because of course there's lots of quebec logo down there and and, and drink burgundy it's east coast but what happened was i think because of the heavier richer calves that are there in hot summers and hot winters in those places they like the the, the the lightness of pinot and there came a time after years of the ipnc where people could say want a pinot tonight pinot in the states means california pinot okay and they'd say yeah but i feel like an oregon for a couple who doesn't read or a person who doesn't read about wine or listen to podcasts to say i feel like an oregon pinot means you've created that niche you exist you know okay and and of course Ontario is trying to do that right now with our limestone, and I think we're getting somewhere. We don't have the quantity yet. But so you had this first Christian Alliance changing into something that really worked. Well, years later at Lemelson, I'm on the board, and we're thinking, what's the theme this year? What are we going to do? And uh, so when I leave, I come here. I exist from uh, 20, 2003 when I arrived to 2008 before I realized I'm going to Burgundy to buy domain Montelie Duarte in Montelie, and I have to give something back to Ontario, because Ontario is just a fabulous place to work and live. People were so great that you felt part of a burgeoning industry. It was more exciting than Burgundy, more exciting than Oregon, because we were doing it from zero. The Clos was part of that, but Malivar was already there. Creekside was already there. Harold Tila Hidden Bench popped up. Flat Rock popped up, right? Uh, who am I forgetting? Um, right beside Hidden Bench, Taz. And, and lots of great Pinot producers were popping out uh, Coyote's Run. And all of a sudden, we had an industry, right? I could name lots more. But, I mean, and then, then what happened was um, we uh, said, okay, if we start the Chardonnay thing, this will be a gift to Ontario. It's like instead of working in a soup kitchen, which my wife wanted to do, I said, let's do something that will actually unite the industry. So, Because, you know, sometimes for, for how much weight we carry in the world, we have more bitchiness than weight. But that's another podcast. Yep. It's another podcast. But, uh, I, I, you know, trying to get people to pull. I'd seen it in Oregon. I'd seen the inclusiveness. And, you know, we're going to talk about Ken Wright here. It was a very touching moment. I almost cried. There was a long, long line for the salmon bake, which is like our, what's the school where we do our thing here at the I4C? Our, school, uh, school for Cool. No but, it's the, no, but the Ridley College where we do the Saturday night event. Uh, oh, right, the, right, right. Like right. the dinner or whatever. Yeah, yeah. so there's a, they're, they're doing uh, indigenous Indian-style uh, salmon, not on cedar planks, but on things that look like oars from boats mm. over a long pit fire. Yeah. There's a thousand, two hundred people outside in line, mm. and this couple—it's a thousand bucks a weekend plus your, you know, your your everything. But then everything's all inclusive. You visit wineries, you drink a pinot all weekend, and there's this long weekend, and you just need your pass to get in. And uh, and this couple stood in line. I was walking by. They go, "Oh my God," and they were probably very fortunate people. They were from you know, Missouri or Texas or New York City. And they were distraught because they'd lost their salmon bake tickets. And the salmon bake, or the salmon baked, depending which way you see it, because yeah. there's a lot of wine there. Ken Wright walks up, and we've got two reasons to Google him now. He walks up and goes, what's wrong? And he goes, uh, well, 
we've lost our tickets. You can't buy them on the last night. Yeah. They've been sold out for six months. Yeah. So you might as well just go and go to a restaurant and have a nice meal and cry in your beer or yeah. your pinot. Yeah. Ken Wright goes, that's funny because I have two extra wine tickets. My people couldn't make it. And they go, why are you doing that? He goes, drink Pinot Noir. It was a very subtle moment and very cool. And uh, he didn't even say, drink Ken Wright Pinot Noir. And guess what? He didn't say, by the way, I'm Ken Wright. Yeah. He was, he was very, very altruistic. And what I learned from that is pulling together makes a region. The cool thing about the Oregon Pinot Noir celebration, and the key to it is, they have 60 domains from the world around, and about 30 of them, 25 of them are from Oregon, about 15 are from California, two or three from Canada, and after that it's Burgundy, the Alto, Adige, if they have some Pinot. But what happens is, Oregon is always the home team. And I know you guys are probably both Canadian fan in hockey. Imagine... No, no, I'm a Canadian fan. He's a Leaf fan, although that's because Saskatchewan doesn't have a team. That's true. That is the next podcast, just saying. But here's the thing. The Canadiens have had some rough years, I even admit it. Yes. But they would definitely win the Stanley Cup if they were always the home team. And and, and that's what I'm saying. Oregon's always the home team. So we wanted to make Niagara the, the home team for a Chardonnay. And then, but people would say to me, when we got the first 40 producers together to say, 40 people, some were, some, you know, multiple guys from all of our, it was Martin and Shiraz, for instance, in our backyard in Welland, two moves ago, and they said, but why would we do this? Uh, uh, because, you know, Chardonnay is ubiquitous. I said, well, we'll do it because um, Chardonnay needs focus and it needs to be, so we got what we call the cool Chardonnay. So there's so much Chardonnay, we're just carving out the cool niche. But, and then I remember, um, rightly so, uh, Cave Springs said, couldn't we do a Riesling? We said, yes, but Washington's already doing one. France in Macon does Chardonnay du Monde, which is an amazingly big competition. Mm. Let's be inclusive and get anybody who's cool here. And this is a big ad because we're a month away from it, which doesn't give you guys much time to edit the podcast. But <laughs> I got to I gotta say this, though. You know, we're getting people from everywhere now. And we said, how the hell are we going to include California, some parts of California, Chile or uh, Argentina? How are we going to include Australia and South Africa? And I think it was Dorian Andrews, who now does the Grape and Wine Festival in Montebello Park, said, you can be cool by uh, latitude, us, yeah. cool by latitude, altitude, or attitude. And the attitude was a brilliant part. So if somebody from a hot climate uh, can put something on here, we got, we got Rajat Parr from, uh, from Sandy coming this year in Santa Barbara. That's not actually hot, but it's California. Yeah. And he makes chiseled wines, more chiseled than a lot of Niagara See, wines. but I love the fact that we can even have the discussion that there's there's wines in California that have that cool climate feel and, once again, by altitude. And the thing is... It's or just, attitude. And that's it. It's, it is it is cool that like it really has brought in everyone from around the world. And and you can... The attitude means if you have to grow a sprawl over your grapes so that they're, they're, they're hidden from the sun... And you can come out with something that's mineral and it's harvested later because it, it has more time to get ripe instead of rushing to 15% alcohol, right? Or 15% potential alcohol because it has so much sugar. That's how you get there. And these people are figuring it everywhere because Chardonnay is the greatest white grape. Yes. You know how you know that? Because you're making it. No. Because <laughs> if Greco was in Toronto yesterday at, at the symposium at, at George Brown College and he would say Riesling is the best. But I got to tell you, the proof that Chardonnay is the best, that bad Chardonnay 
medium Chardonnay and great Chardonnay is loved all around the world. I don't like the bad Chardonnay, but there's somebody else loving it up right now. That is true. Because <laughs> I know that uh, I, the reason I don't like Chardonnay is because of the bad Chardonnay. Thomas, we're going to have to cut it there, my no, friend. No, yes. no, no. Are, uh, are, are we at least at the part the part where where the Batchelder label with the three We tasted vineyards? four Batchelder okay, okay, ones. Okay, 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 but hang on. Just come on. Let me... No, nope, we're going to have to bring him Shut back. Up, Michael. We have to bring Shut him back. Shut up, Michael. Thomas, will you come back? <laughs> Tom, I'll Thomas, come back. That's Thomas, what I like we, to hear. Are, are we at the part of the story where this, where your project has a name? Because we know that... Now it's born. Okay, because we know and that... Kalos is born the same day. There you go. Okay. So we leave it off with Domain Kalos and Batchelder being born on our next Thomas Batchelder podcast. We're going to wait another year? Next year. We're going to wait another year? And then he'll have other wines. So Oh, come on. I can't believe that we had to dip out of that interview right when we were getting to, like, the good part, the present, you know? <laughs> I don't know if he really got to the present. He was all over the place this time. And it's funny because, you know, we have another one coming up where we do the stump the stoop because he yep. loves that part. Yep, I think yep. he was so looking forward to that that he just kept <laughs> rambling on and on and on just just to get to that part. And here's the funny, the funniest part of that whole interview is we don't have a sip of wine, uh, really, as in drinking, until we get to part two slash four. Oh, speak for yourself. I was drinking, uh, never mind. Yes, no, I was responsible and did not swallow a single thing that he was pouring for us. Are you telling me I was the responsible one for once? Yes, I can straight up tell you that, and I'm not even ashamed of it. Anyways, <laughs> stay tuned for uh, next Stump the Stoop with Thomas Batchelder coming up in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, share this podcast along with uh, anyone you think should hear it, because uh, I think we're going to have to make our own separate uh, Thomas Batchelder uh, playlist on our SoundCloud page, so people can check that out. Uh, yeah, we're going to have to do that. When we get to, what is it, do you need six before uh, you have to have your own page sure i guess we can do that because we got a few that we can probably do that let's say if you're a six person guest on this podcast you will get your own playlist that means david race is not far behind that's right all right well well i'm michael pingus from michaelpinguswinereview.com i'm andre pru from andrewinereview.ca and as always good night thanks for listening please subscribe to two guys talking wine on itunes